0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek in Time. This is the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. So what we're doing is we've gone back to, in chronological order, the earliest days of Star Trek storytelling, which means we're back in Enterprise. And we're also going to take a look at how things were in the real world when these episodes were originally broadcast. So since we're back in Enterprise, we're back in 2002 right now. We're still in relatively early days, considering how many episodes of Star Trek there are. (laughs) We are just nearing the end of the first season of Enterprise. Some of you may be wondering, who's this we that's doing the talking? Well, we are Sean Farrell. We are Matt Farrell. Who is Sean Farrell? Sean Farrell's a writer. That's who I am. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother Matthew. Matthew, say hi hello i thought you were going to say resistance is futile for the second there when you were saying we are farrell yeah. <laughs> i should have gone that route yeah. we'll do that when we actually get introduced to the borg <laughs> matt is the tech guru and inquisitor behind the youtube channel undecided with matt farrell so we try to balance things out between the tech guy and the writer guy that we have the sci-fi star trek love covered just a reminder before we get into this episode there are ways you can support the podcast you can go to trekintime.show and that will allow you to throw some lucre our way if you so choose but even if all you do is listen or watch on youtube we appreciate that all of that really does help the show before we get into the episode matt you had some listener comments and info to share yes Well, the first thing is,
1: um, we now, you know, you can donate to the, the show and we have one of our first membership donations. And I would want to thank RoboTrav for that. He comments on almost every video and has some really insightful comments too. So thank you, RoboTrav. Um, but a couple of the comments I wanted to kind of highlight are, uh, from the episode Vox Sola. Uh, there's from Daz636. I can't see Star Trek ever again, reaching the heights of the next generation or DS9 era people were starved of new trek on tv we finally got trek the great kirk movies next generation ds9 then saturated with the chronologically dull voyager it peaked people got what they wanted maybe another 20 years or so and i i do kind of agree with that sentiment i think the time that enterprise was on the tv we had kind of hit peak trek and i think people have been trekked out absolutely it wasn't really scratching an edge for people at that time, which is part of the joy I'm having going back and rewatching it again because you kind of go back with clear eyes and you get out of that saturation point and you can kind of more objectively watch it because you're not Star trek out.
0: I think before you move on to the next comment, I would just weigh in as well that I feel like that exhaustion is evident not only in the audience numbers, but in the production of the Enterprise episodes themselves. There's a kind of exhaustion to the storytelling <laughs> where there's a hesitance to break any of what mm-hmm. came before and that is whole we've we've kept talking about that as we've moved through these episodes in the first season enterprise really feels like it's not only got one hand tied behind its back but it's wearing a blindfold at times they're so afraid of undoing Trekdom that they aren't hmm. really telling interesting stories in some cases and happily as we've gotten toward the end of the season, we've seen some stronger episodes, but the middle of this first season was pretty yeah. boggy at times. It really felt like kind of stuck in the mud.
1: Yeah. I mean, to, to add to, to his comment as well, he's also implying the newest stuff that we're seeing on Paramount plus is also not good. And I would disagree with that. Yeah. Um, I think the JJ Abrams, Abrams movies are slick films, but they don't feel like Star Trek. They are just ac- generic action films that take place in space. But I think like, um, discovery it's doing some new innovative things we've never seen in star trek before yeah and it's it's kind of reignited that passion for me in star trek and they're they're taking some bold steps and it's i think they're doing a good job with that so i think we're kind of entering hopefully another kind of trekissance yeah (laughs) with the new stuff that's coming i agree Uh, the second comment, um, you kind of, Sean, when you intro the show kind of tied into this, but I thought this comment was funny from Giant Hogweed Lives. Hi, Feral Brothers. I don't know why it took me so long to realize that why, why you've chosen Enterprise to review. I was listening closely and realized that you may be intending to go through all the Star Trek shows in chronological order, not as they were broadcast, but in Trek time. (laughs) Wow. That'd be quite a commitment how many series is that? How many years of our life would this take one episode per week? <laughs> my wife, my wife just said that to me the other day. I'm like, how long is it going to take you and Sean to go through
0: this? Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I think that what's become clear to me is that it's entirely possible you and I will be doing this for the rest of our lives. Yes. As We've new Trek retirement being made <laughs> yeah. and we have multiple series on at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm
0: the just getting through enterprise which is four seasons is going to take us almost two years yeah so once we move out of enterprise the next show after that will be discovery and those seasons are shorter so let's say two seasons is the equivalent of one of an older series we're still looking at a year and a a half of discovery maybe two years of discovery at that time we will have the new spin-off show which is the original (laughs) series inspired (laughs) show around enterprise. Yeah. With captain pike. With captain pike again probably shorter seasons. Yeah. But then you get to the original series and little teaser for our listeners. Uh Matt might push back on this but I am a big fan of the animated series. So I'm hoping that we can incorporate the animated series of the original series. Into our rewatch, so there's three seasons plus a couple of seasons of an animated show.
1: We we might we're have to already rethink talking. how we're doing this podcast. Yeah, we're we already, might have to do a couple episodes in, in one episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that
0: when it comes to the animated series, I'm really thinking like let's double them up. Double up. Yeah, we'll yeah, do two we episodes at a time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this this really is going to be a test of our longevity, but also yes. the the familial bond will this break <laughs> the feral brothers because we're not, we're not young you'll men watch we're not young men we're not old men yeah you'll watch you'll two watch brothers descend into madness today. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is uh thank you hogweed you've been a commenter before appreciate your listening hogweed you're you hit the nail on the head this is a long-term commitment and we do plan on sticking with it we're gonna do our best i personally am enjoying doing this so much so i look at this as like if this is a multiple year and we're looking at what we just described is easily 10 years plus yes i'm in i'm in <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if for no other reason than this one of the things that i'm getting out of doing this podcast is i've as i've been re-watching enterprise is reengaging with the the episodes in a way that i couldn't because it had been so long since i'd seen them Mm -hmm. and then as we emerge from enterprise and we move into the next series those are series that i'm not as familiar with simply because i haven't watched them all yet so i'm looking forward to stepping into a place where i kind of have a homework assignment to watch some star trek and Mm -hmm. being able to watch discovery and being able to watch the new series in that way i think is going to be really exciting and then as we move beyond that and get into the original series and get the next generation and deep space nine those hold a very special place in my heart i'm really looking yeah. forward to wading back into that and and re-engaging with those for deep nostalgia as well as the podcast so there's different reasons that i'm very excited about very particular series in this podcast so I hope that Hogweed, I hope you and Robotrav and our other regular listeners are, are willing to stick around for that long. <laughs> it's the long haul. We'll find out. <laughs> but on to today's episode, we're looking at the episode Fallen Hero. Matt, do you want to give us a synopsis of this? Sure.
1: Captain Archer is ordered to transport Vulcan ambassador Vilar from a planet where her integrity has been called into question. Dun dun dun. That's right.
0: Things are afoot. This episode aired on May 8th, 2002. It had 5.3 million viewers. So a little bit, it's it's holding with the previous week. Um, but again, Enterprise was not one of the top shows of the era. It struggled to get and hold an audience, especially when compared with previous, episode, previous series like Voyager or Deep Space Nine. This episode was directed by Alan Cross, Alan Cross is a prolific director and I'm going to run out of breath probably twice before I get to the end of this list of his directing credits, which include Chuck, Friday Night Lights, Gossip Girl, The Vampire Diaries, Hidden Palms, Related, Bones, North Shore, The Division, The O.C., (gasps) Boston Public, (laughs) Star Trek Enterprise, The Twilight Zone, American Dreams, Roswell, VIP, Once and Again, Jack and Jill, Xena, Warrior Princess, (laughs) (laughs) wasteland cupid the net dawson's creek the visitor relativity malibu shores second noah the Marshall, my so-called life chicago hope and party of five i guess you could say this guy got around he was busy and i felt like you look at that that list of programs and unlike a lot of directors um who get into one type of show this is across mm-hmm. the board it's it's a lot of different things. Um and his starting point in television I think is interesting. He received two primetime Emmy awards for outstanding achievements in costuming for a series for his work on the series 30 something. So <laughs> this is somebody who started in relatively just real realistic drama, but he did a lot of very different things. So clearly there's a um a workman's a craftsman's approach to directing that is at work here and I think it's evident in the episode I think that this episode is very tightly paced and and I think that the storytelling is well done so I think that that's evident that this director managed the story that was given to him really well the story was by Rick Berman Brandon Braga and Chris Black and the teleplay was by Patrick Norris and as I mentioned, this episode dropped on May 8th, 2002. So the world that this dropped into included, what was our number one song? Well, Matt, you'll remember that we were singing Don't Let Me Get Me by Pink. I remember I heard we were. you sing that <laughs> every time we ran into each other. I was like, now there he goes <laughs> singing Pink again. <laughs> and it was a slow week for movies. Uh, the number one movie that week was a little picture called Spider Man, which was directed by Sam Raimi and starred Tobey Maguire. It would, of course, go on to make 114 plus million, meaning that it set the Marvel universe back by decades. We'll never see another yes. Marvel movie in our future. Ever thanks again. to how terrible a failure the Spider Man movie with Tobey Maguire was, I am, of course, either lying. Or I am out of my mind because that is a huge opening. It set a number of records and I think paved the way for what was at that point questionable, which was do people actually want superhero movies? And Spider Man showed up and kind of said, yeah, they really kind of do. On television, we were watching ER along with 28 million other people, which I think is a perfect demonstration of enterprise mm, 5 million people Mm -hmm. trying to find an audience er 28 million people not trying to find an audience kind of trying to drive them away no go watch (laughs) something else we have too many viewers (laughs) in the news from the new york times some of the headlines include 15 people killed by a suicide bomber in tel aviv ariel Sharon cuts short his u.s visit after a meeting with george bush and there were splits over palestinian statehood and arafat's role was unresolved at that point point. and of course those contentious issues continue to this day but in one particular news story that i wanted to focus in on which i think we're still feeling the after effects of this the u.s in a shift tells justices that citizens have a right to guns Reversing decades of official government policy on the meaning of the Second Amendment, the Justice Department told the Supreme Court for the first time late Monday that the Constitution, quote, broadly protects the rights of individuals, close quote, to own firearms. The position, expressed in a footnote in each of two briefs filed by Solicitor General Theodore Olson, incorporated the view that Attorney General John Ashcroft expressed a year ago in a letter to the National Rifle Association. Mr. Ashcroft said that in contrast to the view that the amendment protected only a collective right of the states to organize and maintain militias, he, quote, unequivocally believed that, quote, the text and the original intent of the Second Amendment clearly protects the right of individuals to keep and bear firearms. That is a stance that continues to this day to be in the news as firearms are constantly in the news. So for this episode fallen hero we have the first episode in the past five to actually have a date attached to it we now know definitively it is february 9th 2152 and when we start i will admit i did not like the cold open on this i thought it Mm -hmm. was one of the things that happened with last week's episode and something i think that is evident in this week's episode and i talked about it last week The A plot and the B plot are so closely intertwined that you almost don't recognize that you see two different storylines. And that's the way tightly wound stories should be and are constructed. They reflect each other, they affect each other, but you don't feel them as different. And in this one, we have a storyline around the big picture, the A plot. We have an ambassador who needs to be taken from a planet because she is accused of having done something nefarious and then stuff winds out from that the b plot is this particular ambassador as we will learn was a personal hero of to and it is about to relationship to this woman in questioning her fandom of this woman and this woman's growing interest in to that's the b storyline but the two storylines reflect each other so well and are so integral to one another that it feels like one large storyline. Same thing happened last week. And I applauded Mm -hmm. that. I don't like that this opener is so disconnected from those storylines. It felt a little distracting, I will admit, when the story starts and it feels like we're wading into a goofy episode. It feels like we're
1: about to go to Risa and have some wacky hijinks. It feels very
0: much like we're on our way to the the wackiest adventure that Risa has ever seen, especially when trip shows up in his Hawaiian print shirt, because effectively he wants to, he wants to get laid. That is the subtext Mm -hmm. of the setup. He's looking at opportunities to meet women. And he says, if you're going to, if you're going to get action, you got to wear something that stands out. And so that's why he's wearing this ugly Hawaiian print shirt. There's also a later reference to on Risa, these masseuses have 12 fingers on each hand. And the implication yeah. being, man, is it going to feel good? It's, it goes back to that kind of bad touch place that Enterprise yes. has hit a couple of times. Occasionally touched on. Where it's yeah. like, so let's show these people sitting around in their underwear covered in sweat while they're decontaminating. And I've been like, I don't like that scene. And this <laughs> opener starts to hit that note. And I went into this feeling feeling like, again? starting with a bad touch right at the beginning is not a good place to start so i don't know about you but i was relieved when suddenly archer receives a call from admiral Forrest. we have an emergency situation you're the closest ship the vulcans have asked for a favor you need to go to this planet and take their ambassador from the planet they're being recalled i don't know how archer felt in that moment but i felt relieved oh good we're not going to (laughs) risa And this was, again, I I mentioned earlier in this episode, um, there are moments where I don't recall what the episode is going to be. I have moments where it's like, oh yeah, I don't remember this episode very well. So when we had the cold open here that looked like we were going to Risa, I thought, have I blacked out (laughs) in my memory a terrible episode that takes place on Risa to discover that no, that's not what happened at all. In fact, this episode, once it started, I started to recall, oh yeah, I remember this one now and I really liked it.
1: The only argument I could see for why that beginning makes sense is that it sets the tone for the captain and the crew are have gotten into a mindset of, yeah, we need a break. We're going to a vacation planet. And then, wait, we have to go help the Vulcans? I don't want to do this. Right. It's like it sets up the tone of they don't want to be doing this mission in the first place. And as we get into the plot, there are things that the captain's like, I'm out, forget this. And it kind of, you could say it kind of try is trying to help set that stage for why they're so reluctant right. through the first half of the episode, but it's so loose,
0: <laughs> I don't think it holds. holds yeah, it's well. a very it's a very tangential connection. I do I do agree that it is probably and it is looking for a whiplash effect. Yes, the crew thinks they're going off to actually have shore leave, and then suddenly it's a high stakes political issue of yeah once again it's the vulcans the vulcans and and once the the admiral's communication comes through it goes back and starts hitting things right on the head and and putting into place plot elements that that are tightening up the screws and adding to the pressure of the situation once again the vulcans won't tell us exactly what's going on once Mm -hmm. again they're they're acting as if something has to be done because they've said it should be done as opposed to giving us the reasons why and for archer in particular the conversation with Forrest is he's willing to listen he is clearly willing to have that discussion and he and Forrest, i think it's a very nice exchange it's demonstrating the trust that Forrest has in archer yep. because he is giving him everything he has he's not holding anything back and in fact, they both share a moment of kind of throwing their hands up in there and go, there they go being Vulcans again. Like surprise, surprise, they're not telling us squat. So yeah. I think it's a nice exchange between him and his commanding officer. The ship immediately he sets in a course for the planet Mazar, where they're supposed to pick up Valar. And once to Paul is Involved in this exchange around Valar, her reaction to Valar's presence is evident from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That this is somebody. Not only does she know the name, but there's something special going on. And Archer doesn't call her out, but raises this as an issue. Like it's obvious you've got some personal stakes here. I've I recognize what you've what you've um, the physicality of your response and he raises the issue of meeting your heroes and Mm -hmm. one of the things that i think stood out for me in this episode at the very beginning when they first meet Bilar, i love there's a running theme in trek the older a vulcan the easier they are to hang out with yes
1: they're more comfortable in their own skin like i loved how they set up with t'paul basically saying don't talk to her unless she talks to you. Mm-hmm. Don't shake her hand. And the first thing she does come when she comes on the ship is do an awkward handshake. Yes. And I love the a subtlety very of her handshake. handshake. Yeah. I love the subtlety of it, though. It was just such a clearly, this is how, how it's close, but it's not quite there. It's like the uncanny valley of handshakes. Yeah. I thought it was really nice. And then the dinner scene that they have where they're they're having dinner with Paul, uh, Velar, and it's Trip, I believe, and the captain. And in that conversation when there was a the my favorite episodes always come back to character development when you start to engage with the characters and identify with them and you have those themes that carry through episodes those are my favorites and there's in that dinner scene there's a wonderful moment where i lar says you do realize you're dining with the two oldest people on the ship yeah and there's this cut to to paul just doing a side eye at i think it's like the captain yeah just like don't say anything kind of a thing yeah like and it's like watch she's one of the oldest people in the ship i just like the little like those little moments that happen and they happen a lot in this episode so i yeah. was really enjoying the the character development here
0: yeah i was reminded of in episode uh star trek six when spock is in the midst of passing the reins to the person he thinks should replace him and this younger Vulcan says to him logically that doesn't make sense and he just goes logic 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 is the beginning of wisdom not the end
1: Mm -hmm. and he has
0: this very knowing response which after literally decades of having watched Spock we as the audience are just like yeah he got there he we understand how he got there we see the subtle shift in performance as the decades wore on to mm-hmm. see this more weathered Vulcan who's just kind of like, yeah, there's logic, yeah. but there's also living. And here you see step right out of this, you know, onto the ship. Here comes this Vulcan that to Paul is shocked doesn't fit that mold that she recalls from decades earlier. I think it's a very nice opportunity that they took in order to tell a story about the evolution of vulcans on an individual basis while they are also indirectly doing it on a large scale basis because part of the point of enterprise at this point is to show vulcans are being jerks most of the time well it's also it's
1: like vulcans as they get really old get comfortable in their own skin Mm -hmm. and it comes with wisdom it's like the younger vulcans seem to have be more uptight because they're trying to behave like a Vulcan's supposed to behave right and the older the Vulcans are they're like they even, she may even makes a comment at some point in the video and the episode where it's like you know uh, <laughs> we all have emotions. Paul basically says we don't have emotions, and, and yeah. Valar's response is, "Oh no, we gotta we gotta we got emotions. You know, yeah. you, you definitely are having an emotion right now. You're just right. keeping it suppressed, right. and it's like." because she's older she has this wisdom it's just like she's comfortable in her own skin of knowing yeah i'm gonna feel angry at times and i'm gonna you know keep it in check and everything's fine it's like it's just that that very uh mellow attitude that they seem to get as they get older it's kind of fun
0: and you mentioned the dinner scene the dinner scene is followed later by the conversation between Tapal and velar and it's in that personal conversation when as you mentioned Valar says oh we have emotions Valar does a a wonderful turn where she is clearly understanding that T'Pol is upset Mm -hmm. and sees it as anger and when T'Pol says I'm not angry with you Valar is able to like squint at her almost like you can read tea leaves and says Mm -hmm. you're disappointed like and it's a and it's Pointing out disappointment as if disappointment is fascinating in that moment. It's really kind of like, well, this is an interesting reaction. I didn't expect that reaction. Yeah. And it really, at that point is, and along with the title of the episode, really pinning all of this as what do you do when your heroes don't live up to your expectations? And I think that the writing in the episode is particularly tight around the idea that it also reverses that Mm-hmm. in having Valar's experience with Depaul decades earlier revealed toward the end of the episode and we'll get to that. We'll see how the two of them have been looking at each other very much with the same kinds of feelings of not necessarily hero worship, but esteem
1: mm-hmm. and
0: a recognition that there's something special about the other one and that mm-hmm. as their relationship is explored more toward the end it becomes very um the the demonstration of that i think is really really strong so the enterprise is trying to get velar back home and all they know is velar has been accused of something velar is not arguing that she is innocent and she is going to be returned to vulcan and meanwhile a Maserite ship starts to lay in pursuit and says oh we forgot some questions we were supposed to ask her so we need you to give her back to us and it becomes evident almost immediately this Maserite ship is not being the the captain of this Maserite ship is not being truthful the Enterprise instead of slowing down says well like Archer says I need to talk to Starfleet I don't get to make that call And that's the moment that they discovered the Maserite ship is jamming their communications and almost immediately begins to fire upon them. There is a space battle, I think, at this point in the episode. I think the action of this, I think it's in perfect balance with the dramatic moments between the characters. And it reminded me of, from the original series, the episode where the Enterprise first interacts with the first Romulan interaction where there is a cat and mouse space battle while dramatic moments are taking place on board the ship Mm -hmm. and there is this internal discussion of like how do we manage these masorites who are doing these things that we don't understand their goal and how do we manage on a more direct level when the vulcan won't even tell us why we're running Mm -hmm. what is what is happening here. So the Maserite ship opens fire. The Enterprise has to drop out of warp. There's a nice moment of discussion with Reed around the idea that the phasers can't be fired when they're at warp, and he's working, quote, I'm working on it. They drop out of warp. They're able to use the phasers to defend themselves enough to actually damage the other ship to then be able to jump back into warp and get away. But at this point now, they are clearly in over their head. And they are... Mm -hmm they're trying to to get back to vulcan as quickly as possible in order to link up with some level of defense and they know that there's a vulcan ship that is coming to intercept them so how do we get there as quickly as possible
1: well, you're, you're, you're skipping no you're skipping over kind of an important plot point which is what i was saying at the beginning they actually turn around and start heading back to the planet right because the captain's like this ain't worth it they're not telling us why we're doing this mission we're just going to take her back because I'm not going to risk my crew for this. Um, so they actually double back and get almost all the way back to the planet. <laughs> right. Before they turn around again because the captain gets convinced by T'Pol to right. trust her.
0: Yeah. And that that sequence where T'Pol and Archer talk, the level of trust that mm-hmm. has to come out of that conversation is really the heart of the episode by the end. It is highlighted as that conversation is a demonstration of something that is, is growing in their relationship where she makes the point of saying, I've served with you for this long and I've never asked for a favor. I'm asking for that now. I'm asking for you to trust me. And he turns the ship around and starts going back in pursuit of, of meeting up and rendezvousing. It would have if he hadn't turned around they would have been in better footing um, yes much <laughs> but they end up to be a mistake as they then lay in course and try to meet up with the Vulcan ship that they know is on the way they are now pursued by multiple Maserite ships and it is turning into a it's just a full it's almost like a an old western where it's like somebody's on their horse and they are being chased by a posse and it's everybody knows what's going to happen if that posse gets them Mm -hmm. and it is just a full blown flight for freedom and while it's not space battles I found this part of the episode particularly gripping. The fact that they were,
1: everybody was pushing their engines to the breaking point. Yeah. The Maserites were dumping fuel into space to try to keep their engines cool. The Enterprise is about to like burst into flames because they're pushing it too far. And Trip keeps saying, you, we can't keep this up. And flames are shooting out of like, <laughs> like grates. Yeah, the, it, was, it was really exciting. Chris Black the in the, in the story
0: development, he said that one of the things about that episode was to, to give it a callback to Scotty's attitude. When he would say to Kirk, "I'm giving it all I've got," um, yeah, and and Trip in this episode says, "I don't know how much more I can give you. This is this is it." And yeah, when they get the the Enterprise to fly, and Archer has the great moment of saying, "Like it's called a warp five engine," yeah, like let's go warp let's five. go warp <laughs> five. It's called a warp <laughs> five engine, and getting there is not particularly easy, and it doesn't seem particularly safe, and Again, to go back to the directing, the tightness of the the directing in this episode, everybody on that bridge is looking at each other like, "Well, it's been nice knowing you." Like at any moment, they think me, like this
1: could fly apart. Yeah, this reminded me of movies like *Das Boot* and other submarine movies where it's like the submarine's only rated to go to you know, 20,000 fathoms. It's like and right. they're going beyond it and you can hear the ship creaking and everybody's on the ship like biting their nails because like, they have to do this. Yeah. And they know it's dangerous and stupid, but they have to do it. Yeah. It reminded me of that. So there was a lot of tension that was there that I thought yeah. was really good too.
0: And it feels very organic. It feels yeah. very much a part of the ship and the show. Like this ship was always built potentially to go to warp five. This just happens mm-hmm. to be the moment where, oh my God, we got to go that fast. Mm-hmm. And the holding on by their nails as mayweather is calling out the speeds that they're achieving and the reaction of the ship and in the engine room as things are literally bursting into flames and trip is saying like that's it like we're we are going to fall out of warp at this moment Mm -hmm. Uh, and then a very nice taunting conversation between the masorette captain and archer i loved this conversation with oh, Captain Archer, it seems like your ship is about to blow up. Why don't you drop out of warp? And Archer is like, well, it seems like your engines are about to burst into flames too. Why don't you drop out of warp? And (laughs) keeping everything nice and cool, nice and calm, while this isn't, like, it's not going well for anybody. Uh, But but before you move on, there
1: was, in this whole sequence, right when it started, I don't know if you felt this way, but right when the, the three ships show up, that whole sequence, when that starts... The conversation right before that is between Valar and the captain. And mm-hmm. the Valar is basically saying, I don't want to risk your crew. Right. And the captain says to her, Tr- trust me. Right. Smash cut and there's three ships shooting the hell out of the Enterprise and they're running for their lives. Yeah. And I thought that was such a funny, awesome transition, that smash cut yeah. between him just going, trust me. And then it's like, they're getting their butts pummeled by yeah. these three ships i thought that was a very funny transition right there
0: yeah and and at that point in that conversation it's also revealed what it is that's forced Villar to yeah. be withdrawn as ambassador it turns out she was effectively a spy she was in she was on mazar and was gathering information to reveal corruption within the masorite government and mm-hmm. was is planning on testifying To all of that, to expose the corruption. And those corrupt forces are now what are trying to pull her back to Mazar so that she can be, she knows she will be killed if she's caught. And it even raises the question of what was her own honor worth, because to Paul points out, you were willing to be accused of high crimes and be withdrawn in disgrace. And Valara's response was, absolutely. It was for the greater good. It doesn't like my personal honor was never a a question so the stakes are very high now for not only the enterprise but it has been revealed that this has to do with a global corruptive scheme on mazar and the ambitions of people who want to undo that that then fuels archer's willingness to say like i'm gonna i'm willing to put my own safety and the safety of the ship and the crew on that fight because that's a fight worth having Mm -hmm. And it goes hand-in-hand with the whole, why won't the Vulcans tell us what's going on? Why won't they reveal these things? If it's worth fighting for, we'll fight for it. And that moment comes in Valar's willingness to say, like, you deserve, and she literally says, you deserve to know. And she's really the first Vulcan that I can recall in Enterprise who has said that to Archer. Like, Mm -hmm. this is within your right. So they are being chased the engines are all on fire there is a last moment of quick battle where one of the maserite ships manages to hit one of the nacelles and damage the the warp field collapses and trip and and reed at that moment are like this is it and they fall out of warp and it's i thought it was actually a really cool way that they fell out of warp it come out Mm -hmm. kind of like out of a rainbow explosion and kind of like come to a smoking halt in space And then the Maserite ships have effectively caught them. And in this moment, Archer then turns to Valar and is like this, uh, we're still not done and ends up sending her to sickbay. And without any deeper explanation, just like get to sickbay right now. So that when they are boarded, it becomes then a song and dance, clearly a delaying tactic as they were racing through space, claiming, you know, like let's get to warp five all of the measurements with T'Pol, like like you've got to guesstimate where that Vulcan ship is and when we're going to meet up. And the t- I love how the time keeps changing. Well, it'll be twenty minutes away. Well, now it's eight minutes away. Well, now it's twelve minutes away. The reason yeah. for that is because well, we used to be traveling at warp five. Now we're traveling at warp nothing. Yeah. So now it's a delaying game, and it is Archer's first claim is like, well, things are kind of like on fire over here. Give us a moment. We got to get things put out before we can let you come aboard. And then he slow walks them to sickbay where it is, well, she was injured. I'm trying to tell you that she was where the explosions on the ship took place. So she was injured. So I'll take you to sickbay where she is. The doctor puts on a good performance of you can't do anything to my patient while I'm in charge of this sickbay. And the Mazarites keep pushing, 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 and word comes in. Oh, there's a Vulcan ship that is right outside. It's the Chiron, which the Chiron class warship was a Vulcan warship that ended up making appearances in other Trek and is been described as being one of the most powerful Vulcan ships. So here comes this warship that's going to be more than up to the task of defending the Enterprise and chasing off these three Mazerate ships, and the Mazerate captain goes. I mean, at one point he tried playing the, quote, diplomat. Oh, we have some questions we'd like to ask her. Now it's just full-blown murder. He just tells his two goons, like, take her out. And these two guys fill the sick bay healing chamber full of shots and watch as the health readings just disappear and the screen goes blank. So their expectation is, like, we've now killed her. That was what we set out to do. They don't care if it turns out to be a diplomatic nightmare for the Mazarites because their entire thing is we're hiding the corruption that's what this is about yep and of course we get the turn of Valar is not dead the Sharan shows up and immediately begins to knock the other ships and you get the interesting sound effects coming through the hull of the ship of the space battle going on outside and captain pointing out, oh, that would be the Sharon They're going to be destroying your ships and and things are going our way. Little sci-fi nitpick here. I don't like it when you're inside the Enterprise or any of the ships on Star Trek and you can hear space battles going on outside. Yeah, there would be no yeah. sounds. You know, <laughs> There was a point long ago where you had just have to come to terms with the fact that sci-fi space battles... Are exciting to us in a very wrong way this is one of those ways oh what was that sound <laughs> they would be but, sitting but in the ship and just being like oh by the way somebody's telling us from the bridge there's a space battle going on right outside we can't hear it but the sharan is effectively come in to the rescue and again a nice moment of the some of the greatest tension from storytelling like this can come when you keep reversing the expectation and the hopes of the people within the context mm-hmm. oh the vulcans never tell us anything gets reversed to the vulcans saying you deserve to know what's true gets and then another reversal of oh thank god the vulcans are here
1: and the call that they get in the sick bay i also like that little call that call the was Vulcan captain said. Like, done are you in danger and yeah. the captain captain just going yes yes yeah. we are
0: <laughs> as a matter of fact we <laughs> yeah. are and the simplicity of We've seen this from, I think, most famous, I think the the most we've ever seen this attitude was from Picard. The Enterprise shows up, and Picard, with the full muscle of the Enterprise, says, tell those people to put their weapons down, or we'll just simply blow them out of the sky. Mm -hmm. Picard, I think, was the one who, in my memory, was the most often saying, like, I've got this, I mean, this is the flagship. I will blow you apart. Yeah. And doing it in a calm, diplomatic way. But here we get the opportunity to see it from the Vulcan captain, yeah. who simply says, Tell whoever is harassing you to put their weapons down, or I'm just going to destroy their ships. <laughs> and it's <laughs> done in this a very Vulcan flat tone <laughs> like, I am prepared to destroy these ships. So that's what's going to happen. Very quickly, things get decompressed, and Valar is going to be reunited with the Vulcan High Command. Clearly, her testimony will take place. Clearly, everything that has been worked on will will happen. She will have reclaimed her honor. But there is a sequence where she's talking to to T'Pol and reveals to to T'Pol that the hero worship that T'Pol had may have been misplaced, but that Valar's attitude toward T'Pol is one of recognition of greatness. When she met her as a younger woman, and said you were audacious in how you spoke to me and for somebody so young I thought you don't know what you're talking about but you made me reconsider some of my positions and I've been keeping my eye on you as a result and it was that sequence of interactions that led to Paul on the life that she's currently living which means serving aboard the enterprise so these two people who had that moment. Decades earlier that T'Paul thought was only one way. It turns out it was two way. And that both of them are have ended up where they are in this moment because of the other one to a certain degree. And then I think a lovely closing scene with Archer and Tapal and Velar together, where Velar and again in the write-up from the writers about what they were going for in this moment, there was Velar's comment to Archer and to Paul, I see something between you that is larger than just serving together. And it's larger than just respect. It's heading toward friendship. And in that moment, one of the things that Chris Black said they were going for was the kind of foreshadowing of what human Vulcan relationships would be in particular Mm -hmm. of course kirk and spock yep so i thought that that was a very nice uh well-played scene and one of the things that stands out is how this season has done such fascinating things with the vulcans creating this balance between things like the andorian incident where the vulcans are full-on breaking treaties and lying and at the other end recognizing a change that's occurring within not only their own culture but the relationship to others yeah I think that it's for that it it does a really interesting uh my job
1: my take my take on that ending scene is a little different from you I liked it had no problem with it what I had well I did have a problem with it the problem I had with it was the performance of Valar when Mm. she said the whole thing about you know I see a friendship brewing she became very like an ambassador like she was speaking to a hall of a thousand people she was like over the top with it and it was like okay you're drawing too much attention to this moment mm. it would have I think hit better for me if it was more of a lower key almost a throwaway line you know like there's something mm. more here I think you guys are I think there's a friendship brewing and then she just got a, and left mm mm-hmm but the way she kind of like was announcing it to this hallway of two people, it was like this weird over the top, it's like, oh, the writers really want us to get the clue that this is a hint for what's come. So it's like for me, it was a a little too saccharine, I guess would be the word that comes to mind, Mm -hmm. where if they had just dialed down the the volume level of the performance a little bit, I think it would have worked better. But it was nice. It was nice that they were hinting at the relationship between Vulcans and humans is changing and this is one of those places where that's happening
0: yeah on the whole i I get what you're saying uh i would say that's probably a directorial decision as opposed to yes the performer uh and that was fiona flanagan as velar i thought she was fantastic through the episode she She i think she conducted herself as the very wise vulcan who is a lot more comfortable with touching another person wanting to say thank you wanting to show thanks like that sequence when Tapal ends up looking for her and finding her in the dining hall with sato whom she had specifically said whose cabin am i in because i want to thank them for this and i was curious as to why their cabin was so spartan and that was to Paul's entire starting point. This needs to be ex- expunged of any evidence that you live here, because that will be an offense to the ambassador. And so the, her performance, um, while being about a Vulcan, felt very human, which is a special twist that I think. But it also,
1: it also showed that she's a good ambassador because she's yeah. clearly in the mindset of you have to relate to the people you're dealing with to get any kind of agreements to go forward so it's clear why she would probably have grown into that kind of mentality right because she has to whoever she's being an ambassador with reach out and understand their culture and be and reciprocate or else you're not going to be able to get any kind of deals done right so it's where usually they're coming up across like captains on ships like the cap there was an episode that we talked about earlier where the captain was in the dining hall and didn't want to eat and didn't want to even have the conversation he was like i just don't want to be here yeah he's not an ambassador he's he's a captain this is all beneath him and whatever this is all pointless where she's that's her job so it kind of made sense
0: right so my question to the listeners is do you agree that miss flanagan did a good job in representing what a vulcan as they get older and wiser can become or do you prefer your vulcans colder and uh more withholding let us know matt next time we're going to be talking about the episode desert crossing do you have any predictions
1: i'm going to go out on a limb sean mm-hmm. i think it's going to be some people mm-hmm. crossing a desert
0: i agree unless it's a misspelling and it's supposed to be Desert crossing Ooh, that sounds good which sounds delicious
1: mm-hmm
0: Matt, before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have coming up?
1: Uh, Just be sure to check out my YouTube channel, Vice Versa, which I do with Ricky Roy from the 2-Bit DaVinci channel. We talk about like the latest news and EVs and sustainable technologies each week. Um, It's kind of an off-the-cuff conversation that we have with our viewers who are live streaming it with us. So be sure to check that out.
0: As for me, I'd like to remind people that I have a website, seanferrell.com, and there are links there that you can follow to find out more about my writing, both my stuff for adults and for kids, and my books are available at bookstores anywhere. I'd also like to share a recommendation. uh, Given the spooky season that we're currently in here in the U.S. and in other places that have begun to adopt it, Halloween is next week. And in the spirit of that, I would like to recommend the Netflix series Midnight Mass, which is a Mike Flanagan program. It is, I believe, seven episodes long, and it is a terrific Stephen King-ish vampire story that is super creepy. So, highly recommend that. I'd also like to remind everybody that you can visit trekintime.show to directly support the podcast. And if you can't directly support us, and all you're doing is listening or viewing us on youtube those are great ways to support us as well we appreciate your time we appreciate your listening and we appreciate your feedback and in the vein of feedback if you have any comments or corrections such as those weren't vulcans in this episode at all you idiot those were ferengi please do reach out you can find the contact information in the podcast notes and of course on youtube you can just scroll down even though you will miss our lovely faces into the comment section below the video Please do remember to subscribe, to like the episode, and share it widely with friends and strangers. After all, a stranger is just a friend you haven't met, and to come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.